Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. Again, I am faced with Lance's thievery every Friday when he uh, wears the awesome black luxury division Pella. Uh, Lance what luxury division Pella. Over- Co-host Al Gore luxury division. Are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Did you? Well, how did you not get only, this? Not only does he have that one now. Not only is he finally catching up to Big Brother Lance and looking just. Hopefully, he grows his hair out, all awesome and '80s like like mine. Hopefully, he grows a beard. Hopefully, he starts eating even more red meat. All of the above. Fishing? Fishing? What if he starts fishing with Lance? Wow, I'd be a. a I have like a sweater on, so I don't know how this is working, but um, I love Al it. Luxury Division. Pella Gore. Did you talk to Pella or did they just send it? Or? Oh man, I just I just I just felt like he he equally deserved everything that I have on over here. He's gonna look really good in a second, ladies and gentlemen. Not only does he have one of these, but he has two of these. And I don't mean one of the black, I mean two of the black. There's an extra one upstairs for him, and there's an extra one for me upstairs. We are not giving it out to staff because that is how much I'm in love with the luxury division of Pella pullovers that we have. Very stylish. Very warm. Look at this guy. I, I didn't even realize that they're North Face. Look at this guy. Look at his punum now. Yeah. My face. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Dude, that's awesome. There you go. I am so excited. If you're watching on YouTube, basically, Al got a new pullover to match mine. Now we are both. Luxury. Wonderfully luxury division of Pella. This makes me more happy than I would have thought. All right. I've been on it for a while. So cool. Um, speaking of that, uh, go into Pella. Tell us about Pella. Pella? Well, this episode is obviously brought to you by Pella Luxury. You have never experienced a brand like this before. The collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella are the conversation starters, the pioneers of the industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects and the building industry and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating. And the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. That's PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. Support them. They support us. Cool. I'll interject here. I think everyone should go to architectsguide2.com. That's T-O, architectsguide2.com. Right there, we are hosting the Architect to Builder. I think eventually we'll get um, our Revit stuff on there. We'll get Architect to Developer. We'll get Architect as Entrepreneur or just Architect as Business Owner um, is one we want to do. But Architect to Builder, uh, just because you draw a house doesn't mean you know how to frame a house, right? True. Uh, just because you draw a house doesn't know you mean you know how to build a house. Facts. The best way to learn is to do, to actually do. There is so much information out there that you don't know what is applicable until you actually do it. But that doesn't mean you should start out just flat-footed. 
the architect of builders gives you the framework to start this process, right? It's not going to be all the answers. It can't be all the answers. There's so many ways to do so many different things, but at least you have the scaffolding of which you can now attach knowledge to, right? At least you know the areas to look, how to set it up, how to get started. Uh, if you're interested in that, there's a whole bunch of benefits to it. One is just knowledge of your own profession of what you do all the time. The stuff that you will learn through actually doing it will make your former self seem stupid. Like, what was I doing? Why didn't I know this? Holy cow. How do they let me do this? Go there. Check it out. If you like it, uh, go ahead and buy it. It's not that expensive compared to the rewards. If you, if you buy it and don't like it within the first month, you can return it. No, wow. no questions asked. Unless I might ask like, hey, why didn't you like it? So there might be one question, but you don't even have to answer it. You get, regardless of your answer, you'll get your money back. Yeah. Go check it out. Check it out. Check it out today. You know what else you should check out? You should check out Arcat. As more businesses and tenants demand green design in their buildings, LEED certification is more important than ever. And while Arcat is known for being red, they can help you go green. Arcat provides thousands of LEED reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help you make the green choice that's right for your project. Head over to Arcat.com and find the information you need for LEED. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Al Gore, back to me. Yay. Yay. So, uh, <clears throat> got a couple things I want to go over today. Um, because we're in such an interesting environment, I think, economically. Um, the Fed has been making all kinds of moves, which then, since we are in this gamed, uh, this gamed economy, and it's controlled <laughs> by them, basically, um, how does that affect you as an architect running your business? And our good friends over at pulling this up on, on the screen here. If you're on YouTube, you are seeing the article that I'm seeing. Make sure you check that out um, by our good friends over at Charette Venture Group. Um, so uh, if anybody knows who they are, they, they are, they do great work with architecture firms. They check them out because they do. Um, so it's charetteebg.com. Um, but they put on an article recently, <clears throat> last couple of weeks, and it was called The 2022 Economic Outlook for Small Architecture Firms. Um, so basically, the first thing they looked at was uh, uh, CBG hosts an investment partners roundtable where we all gather clients and CBG staff to discuss topics of sm special interest to small design firms like us, like you. These casual conversations led with a client or CBG team member presenting an idea, uh, often a unique solution they found for a common challenge. Then participants share their experience with the group. The, the format promotes valuable knowledge sharing in a non-competitive environment, right? Which is super important because uh, if you were just competing, well, you'd probably withhold information. So what they did in January this month, they discussed the outlook, the economic outlook for 2022. Everybody wants to know about that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, your profit is your lifeblood. You, you need to make sure, you know, if you got people working for you, you have plenty of work, all that stuff. So CBG's Sun Ju Kim and Rena M. Klein, FAIA, presented forecasting research and firm leaders from across the U.S. and Canada and shared their observations about the economy, the state of their pipelines, staffing shortages, and more. This blog, this blog post summarizes the discussion. So <clears throat> what they ended up coming up with was two really interesting graphics that are 100% true, but there's a, a critical part I want to go, I want to uh, talk to you guys about and Al. So on the left-hand side here, you see they've put together this um, this image that shows here's the typical pattern of the construction business cycle, which I got to tell you, 
the construction business cycle is exactly in sync usually with the business cycle. And what is the, what is the what is the one entity that affects the business cycle more than anything, and which leads to you being able to generally predict? And people will disagree with me. I don't care if you guys do listening that, that you can't predict the boom and bust cycles of the business cycle. You can a hundred percent get you can a hundred one hundred percent get very close to predicting watching the trends and the waves and seeing some of the. I mean, like if I punch Lance in the face, he might punch me back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Like, like, like what? Like, you're basically predicting what? What is the percentage that Lance is going to punch you? Punch you back? Very, very, very 90, likely. Right. But might not be in the face. But he might does be right here, luxury division of Pella. Boom. Yeah. But what we're saying here, here's the hard part: is like, um, Lance doesn't know when I'm going to punch him in the face. It's going to be <laughs> random. I'm going to do it sometime. Right. But once my arm starts to go punch in the face, then we know the reaction. So what? What Lance is saying is that once you're watching out for these indicators, once and a, once those indicators yep. start to happen, yep. then you can start to see, yep. right? You, they you, might come at different times, bingo. but like the fist is coming out, someone's yeah. getting hit. So you can 100% predict where things are trending, but when, but you cannot 100% predict exactly when they, they will land there. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. So <clears throat> what they're showing in this uh, diagram on the left here is, Typical pattern of the construction business cycle, and, and they're 100% right. So, like, let's say we are moving into, uh, let's say, think about the last recession, right? 2008, 2009 would be over here. Recovery. What started? What started to happen during that during that recovery? Rent started to increase. The Fed uh, started to loosen up on lending and started making more funds available, so people were finding cash, which is the lifeblood to be able to get things built. So then it led to increased construction. And then the Fed does what they always do, print too much money, and, and, and then banks lend out too much money, um, and then we start booming, right? And when that happens then, right, then we start overbuilding. Everybody gets overly confident. Once, we, once we're overbuilt, if we use just simple supply and demand, there's rent concessions because there's more places to rent. People are, then there's a more competitive environment for yep. the renters. Then we have a saturated market. Same thing with like four spec houses, right? Prices start to lower a little bit. Then we start to have uh, the tightening of, of funds. So the Fed says, ah, we're printing too much. Then there's <laughs> less Then there's less construction because it, it takes money to make money. And then there's, re- then there's further reduced um, funding, right? And then, then you're in a recession because you don't have the funds to make what you need. Yep. So then once we're in the recession, obviously less people are building, minimal construction. Um, then we start to do increased construction slowly and then rent stabilize and we re- re- rinse and repeat. And this is the this is a reality. I just it would be it would be it would be nice to know <laughs> if Rena and Sunju Kim are are of the Austrian school of economics because what they're describing is exactly that. Right. So the the punch that is coming out that we know is coming out, but I think there's going to be a here's we'll go into what's kind of weird about the reaction to this punch going out um, is oh we're going to increase. Uh, the Fed rate, which increases the rate for mortgages and all lendings and stuff like that. And then we're going to reduce some of the Fed buying. Um, the Federal uh, Reserve, which is normally Freddie, uh, Freddie May and Fannie Mac, whatever they're called. Yeah. Buy the mortgages from the companies, right? May, yep. yep. But as of literally 2017, 18, the Fed, which is also just the banks. It's just banks. <laughs> it's just private banks. Are buying them. 
So like there's an increase in the trillions of dollars of, hey, where can these mortgages go to get off of our books? Yeah. And why that's important, right? Banks, your local bank, even Wells Fargo, has percentages of buckets that they can lend out. They can only lend out um, 40% to housing, 30% to new construction. Like that's all they can have. Yeah. So once they sell it off, then they can re- you know, loan out, get those fees, get all that. What's kind of crazy about it is when Wells Fargo sells to the Fed, they are a part of the Fed, but exactly. now it doesn't count. So like th this funny business, funny business, play funny games, get funny results. Yeah. Right. So where are we at now? What they're pointing out in the graphic to the right is here's how COVID has disrupted what is typically a construction business cycle. So did we have a small reset? Did we have a recession and a contraction in March of starting in March of 2020, once we had all of the lockdowns and the mandates and literally shutting down the economy a hundred percent. But what we didn't expect was the migration out of the cities in, in into the suburbs, into even the countryside. So like people moving from California, New York, uh, so like California moving to Colorado or New York moving down to Florida and looking for more, people looking for more space, people also having all kinds of cash because of all of the money that was printed, right? So, so where were, where were we at? Right. And, and what is this, what is this, how does this, how does this affect what it's doing is basically I've been saying this is that it, it, it staved off, like it put a bandaid over that recession and the yeah. bandaid is about to come off. So if you're thinking, and here's why it's about to come off, go ahead, Al. Nope. I, I agree. Yeah. The bandaid is about to come off now. Right. So this other article that I'm pulling up now is uh, from Bloomberg. Uh, <clears throat> basically. Um, federal policymakers are poised to signal plans for their Fed for their first interest rate hike since 2018 and discuss shrinking their bloated balance sheet. I'm surprised they didn't do it this meeting. Exactly. But so while Alice, I'm also surprised while we are both surprised that they didn't do it at this meeting. The good thing is if you're listening to this podcast and you believe in the forecasting, they are giving you a really big leg up here. They're saying it's going to happen basically in March. So the federal the punch hasn't come. It's going to come. It's in March. coming. Yep. The federal open market community is all but certain to hold its benchmark rate near zero after a two day policy meeting Wednesday while sticking to its plan to taper per asset purchases and end them in March. Remember, stock market crashed in March of 2020. Here we are, I think, repeating that full cycle starting in March. People, there's going to be a there's going to be a big sell off. It's going to uh, we're going to see a major constriction of of funding. So be prepared. And here's the direct relation. This is another article from Bloomberg via Yahoo News. The title of it, and all I need to say is the title because yeah. it kind of says it is Home Builder Stock Stocks Sink as Powell alludes to several rate heights. So people are pulling out of those home builder stocks because they see that the hike rates are coming. So it goes in that cycle, but there's a twist. There's a twist in that cycle. If you go back to your first article, Lance. Okay. Um, so we had a recovery the last couple of years. Yep. Uh, interest rates were very low. Yep. And then COVID hit. So this is how COVID kind of went crazy is they decided we needed a lot of government fiscal stimulus mm -hmm. and they did that because hey we're going to shut down the economy so we're going to pay people to shut down obviously there's huge ramifications but then i think literally um what has been my fear for a long time is once they did that 
they have now detached money from reality. So now it's like, yeah. we've already spent trillions of dollars on all this stuff. Why can't we spend trillions of dollars on everyone's pet project? And well, on here, this is literally how it goes. Lance, Mr. Senator, why can't we spend trillions of dollars on my pet project? Well, because your pet project's stupid. Unless you give me trillions of dollars for your tri- pet project. Then we can both have our pet project. Why projects. can't we do that? So then massive, massive bills, all this stuff. So now we're basically caught up in that boom market, like too much money going on. Normally then the crash would happen. But in this article, they say something that we know is, is interesting. There's still increased demand because we haven't been able to build enough housing. So yeah, the, the line is increased demand for housing will likely continue to fill the pipeline for residential architects, particularly multifamily housing. A multi-housing news says that $4.6 million new housing units will be needed across the U.S. in the next five years with uh, 11.8 housing units needing res- renovation. So that's 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 the good news. That's a silver lining that, yeah, I'm glad they pointed that out. Because you, exactly, like the scarcity is still there. Yep. You want the bad news though? Yes. Why, why is there a housing shortage? We've, we've, we've talked about that there's money issues. Like, why is there a housing shortages? Overregulation, um, supply chain issues, uh, land issues, like that goes in overregulation, like especially in Colorado. Are any of those changing, Lance? No. No. So here's what I'm scared of is that we have a problem. <coughs> a good problem. Yeah, yeah. Not enough housing. Not enough housing. People... Need housing. No, need housing. People know how to make housing. Mm-hmm. We can draw housing at the least. I, I think we might be in a place where we can't do what we know how to do. Right. It's too gummed up. It's too gummed up. And that's what that's what's scary. So like this, I believe, is true in the normal conventional thinking. It's like, yeah, a lot of housing. People have money for housing. We need to build a lot of housing. Well, you can't. You can't do it with all these problems. And the article goes on, and sorry for taking all your thunder. That's okay. No, good. Construction. I'm tired of talking. <laughs> construction administration was also a hot topic, which I've been yelping about, right? Yeah. Many firms spoke about the difficulties they are having in managing CA on projects that drag out due to extended construction schedules. Hmm. Um, and then it's just said, like, this is happening in, in hospitals and other things, too. So... It, the silver lining was, hey, we still need more housing, um, but the, but what I what I'm just kind of seeing on the ground level is like, yeah, but none of the things that have made it so hard to make to fill that are getting any easier. If I had to, if I if there was if there's two pieces of advice I could give everybody right now would be number one, <clears throat> this year is your shot. It is your shot to make to get all of your ducks in a row. If you if you can do it with your small business, pay off almost if you can't pay off as much debt as you can right maybe you took a debt out to build a tiny house yep. maybe you have a construction uh, or maybe you have a company vehicles um, stuff like that right pay, pay off all that debt get as lean and as mean as you as you possibly can and then seriously give your seriously consider if you can turn one or two of your projects into construction projects so that they're shovel ready and maybe you can get through 2023 because there is going to be a reckoning in 2023, I think. Um, you know, the end of this article says the good news is that firms at the roundtable are feeling confident about 2022. I am too. This is your chance. This is your chance to continue feeling good, to continue taking on as much work as you can at the highest rates you can. 
but then think about one extra leap. If it isn't turning into architect to builder at architectsguide2.com, what else could it be? What other kind of streams of income can you can you think about? Can you set yourself up for? Because I'm telling you, like a winter is coming in 2023. Yep. In some point. I love that. The good news, feeling confident about 2022, comma, as of mid-January. Bingo. <laughs> a lot can change, right? I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's a very dynamic uh, world we live in. Okay. Uh, now I've kind of, I've got, I've got another topic here to talk about with, uh, with Al. I want to see, so I haven't read this article yet. I actually had to, to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal to do that. So you're, you're welcome, everybody. Can, um, actually, I, I, I want to just, your question that you asked, what else can you do? Okay. Let's go back to that. Sure. Right. My only segment uh, is today is based off of a tweet. And this might be this might be for a year from now. Yeah. But anyways, I can't find it. It was some head of some tech company. Some some uh, lady was a head of a tech company. And she she said, I'm kind of sick of uh, these computer engineers like going to a two or three week boot camp and then coming out, you know, like like they know something, you know, she goes, she, she said, uh, just hire a former architect and teach them. She said some software. I'm going to say Java. She didn't say software. Whatever. I, I didn't even know what yeah. it was. And a lot of people was like, oh my God, this is a great hiring hack. <laughs> just hire our, an architect is just solving problems from multiple information and then trying to come up with a good, some of the best problem solutions. solvers on the planet. Yep. Yep. So, um, software might be a pivot, uh, especially if you find that person is, is like literally just learn whatever software they're doing and say, Hey, I'm an architect. These are my skills. And the it community might be like, Oh, that's amazing. This is an obvious statement, but I would, I would also be thinking like how much cash, what if the big goal for you is just trying to get your cash reserves up to the maximum level you can this year and being prepared to maximize your profits in whatever you're doing with that extra cash in buying the dip, whatever that dip is. Like that's how that's how rich people get rich is they have cash in the sidelines when everything falls. Here's your preview. Yep. Done. Agree. Okay, back to the Wall Street Journal. So the article is titled, and Al doesn't get to see it because he's not a subscriber technically, even though the firm is a subscriber now. Um, so I'm gonna read it to I'm gonna I'm gonna this is more about uh, an engagement with Mr. Al. How to work, see if he agrees, how to work effectively with an architect on a custom home. It okay. can be complicated, time consuming and expensive, but working with an architect ensures you get exactly what you want. Okay, I'm the architect. You're the architect. This was published January 20th uh, by Robin A. Friedman. The process of designing a home can be long and arduous, particularly for a large or highly customized home. But building a custom home gives you the ability to make every design choice and to create a finished product that is unique and reflects the way you live. <clears throat> Consider Mr. David Beacon's experience. Mr. Bacon worked on worked with an architect to design a 1,400 square foot steel, glass, and cedar mo- modern cabin in Winthrop, Washington, a town in the Cascades for about four hours north of Seattle. The 46-year-old software engineer spent 193000 on a 20-acre tracked that's cheap holy cow with views of the sawtooth mountains mm-hmm. yeah uh and for four hundred eighty-five thousand to construct the home over two years geez also cheap he paid people are probably i hope people are scoffing right now lance that's cheap yeah it's in my world uh he paid an additional fifty-five thousand to his architect seattle-based ray johnson i can't believe they gave out that number it was a big deal to make sure we had enough space for people to come visit said mr bacon 
adding that the home has only one bedroom but sleeps 11. By incorporating sleeping nooks, alcoves, and hang and a hanging bed outdoors, but it would have been very hard to get all the sleeping arrangements otherwise. These are all the little details you can't get unless you get your own architect. Wow. Do you agree with that last statement, Al? Uh, yes. Um, and I love that his name is Mr. And, Bacon. And, and why? But, like, I think they're probably using pseudonyms. I hope. I mean, maybe oh. they're not. Maybe they're not. But why do you think that's true? That that you can't get you can't get that level of exactly what you want without hiring your own architect or getting all those making sure that there was enough space for the guests. As I work with more and more people, including my wife. Nice. <laughs> Sorry, wife. Love you. Love you. Love the kids. You guys are amazing. The best. The to to give them credit, they haven't been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. However it is. The ability to see spatial solutions come extremely quickly. Or to, to you, somebody who's a seasoned veteran. Yep, to yeah. architects. Or to see constraints than someone who hasn't done it. Like if for example, if Lance put together a truck, mm-hmm. the amount of wasted space, the amount of things the overweight be so the, like just think if you wanted to make or design a truck like think about the performance specs yeah for the per dollar per dollar because you could make one you could buy all the top stuff but like it's going to cost you so much to get the same performance specs as a as an f1 250 or what have we been uh toyota you know yeah and the reliability the who knows how that's going to work out i'm supposed to get versus having an expert do it yeah just miles apart and and people live in well, that's weird. Yeah, people live in homes, so they want to, and they can have an architect design it for them. But there aren't architects for cars. <laughs> okay, so, all right. Tangent. When working with an architect, the design process typically begins with an initial meeting, at which the client provides the architect with a wish list, a basic overview of the home that includes details such as the number of bedrooms, baths, and the overall style. After that, the architect will design several conceptual plan options consisting of floor plans that incorporate the wish list arriving at a preferred option typically takes six to eight weeks according to mr johnson a founding partner of johnson architects schematic design comes next comes next as is the creation of 3d models that will allow the client to walk through the house virtually when we produce these 3d renderings and walkthroughs it helps solidify for the client what the actual identity of the home is so there are no surprises when construction starts said Paul Fishman of Chef Levy Fishman Architecture plus Design in Miami. Once the 3D models are approved by the client, the design the design development phase begins and Mr. Fishman brings in consultants to complete the aesthetic details. He involves an interior designer, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing contractors, and aquatic designer. Since all the homes he designs have water features, that's what I need. In a, I, I was once an aquatic designer because I have a water feature in my house. Um... And even a feng shui expert if the client so desires. We have a consultation consultant for everything under the sun, he said. Once we get the, get the 3D and the floor plans are pretty much frozen, they all come in and we start turning the design to a real building. Uh, engineers are involved, involved at this point, a structural engineer to ensure the physical integrity of the building and mechanical engineer to design the HVAC, plumbing, and electrical systems to meet code, as is the general contractor who provides input. Once the construction drawings are prepared, the owner can apply for building permits, generally using an expediter, an expert who facilitates the process by working with the owner 
the architect, and the local municipality to finalize the plans. From start to finish, wish list to permit application, the process generally takes six to eight months, depending on the size and complexity of the job, Mr. Fishman said. Was there anything in there that you didn't agree with? There's some things that I didn't agree with. Um, I don't know what he meant for a consultant for everything, like HVAC and... Yeah, no, no, that's what he meant. That's what I'm saying. Uh, literally a consultant for everything. Uh, interior designer to pick out all the colors, right? Uh, an energy expert to do the HERS rating or whatever energy stuff you're doing. Um, all the HVAC experts. It, it depends. For anybody who's... <laughs> what I'm getting at is, I like, if there is somebody listening to this podcast who is a potential client, which we have plenty that have come through that channel for us, to me, that sounds daunting. Well, it sounds a little bit more overcomplicated than honestly it needs to be. I agree with the whole first... You, you're best off if you hire an architect to design your house rather than you trying to do it, person who's listening who hasn't ever done it. There's a law of diminishing returns and how this applies to architecture because there's value in all these people and you see stuff like that. The law of uh, diminishing returns is literally what might separate literally amazing architecture and award-winning architecture, which... We've done it without it. I mean, there's one of the houses is, is right there is on a magazine. But this is what I'm getting at is that you could do a 4,000 square foot house, mm -hmm. you know, with an architect and, you know, the engineers that you need. And it could turn out anything from, from terrible to, to amazing. But cost you, let's just say, $200 a square foot, right? But you could get everything perfect and amazing and the best thing ever and Literally, now you're spending $400 a square foot and the architecture fee is, is four times more. Yeah. So it's like, what kind of house do I want to live in? And what is the return on that extra? This reminds me of, um, so my, my friend Bill McCarthy is uh, helping me start my fishing YouTube channel. Go to, go to Fishing with Lance, by the way, if you want to check me out, check out all my adventures. Al doesn't even know about that. Yes, I do. I started watching it. Good. He should. He's also, yeah, look at him. He's catching up. Yeah. Uh, catching up. Can you call it catching up? No, I'm not Can you call it catching, catching up? up? <laughs> Fishing with Lance is very simple. Okay. Catching up. Um, so well, I was I'm asking. I'm refer to it as catching up. Watch. So I was asking, so I was asking Bill, hey, do you have any like examples of like what do, YouTubers do you think do the best job? Uh, and, and, and do they have any like did they put any YouTube videos about like how to be a vlogger, like basics to vlogging and mm -hmm. stuff? He sent me some, he sent me a couple videos and uh, one of them, one of the, one of the guys, I'm forgetting his name. He went over, he was like best cameras for vlogging. And it, it's, I think it's exactly, uh, it's a perfect analogy for what Al was trying to explain. So what he explained is he was like, he was like, honestly, a hundred, he put up like, a, you know, your typical like hundred dollar um, just small little camera that you get from Walmart. He was like, some of my best videos and literally most of my videos starting out, that's all I used. He goes, it's not about the technology. He goes, because there's a diminishing return. And, and then he even did a chart to kind of show how all that works. The same thing I think exactly applies like you're just saying. So to put it in perspective, uh, this guy says that, <clears throat> Mr. Johnson said that architects often charge a percentage of the cost of construction. He said that his firm averages about 12% of the construction cost, and that charge covers a complete process from the beginning of site analysis to the end of construction. He said some architects designing high-end homes charge up to 18%. So really, it's up to you, the potential owner. Like, at what, like at, what, at what point 
do you decide about diminishing returns? That that fee makes more sense if it's a, stay there. Mm. Is architect, all the engineers, all the consultants, and CA, like that's a that's a lot of work. Yeah. But like you said, if you're getting a thousand views on YouTube, <coughs> maybe you don't need the camera that a million view person has. Yeah, you know that's yeah. where you're at. And it's and Lance, it is still early. Like you can still call it catching up with Lance. I Psycho. actually, yeah, I, catching I, up with Lance Psycho. <laughs> Come on, because every time they watch it, they're catching up with you, whose name is Lance Psycho. Wow, it's still early, dude. Yeah, it's still early. It's, it's still only one video's up. I'm gonna text uh, Bill. Could change it. See what he's <laughs> got to say. Okay. Uh, last couple things I want to talk about is. Um, uh, so they bullet point a few things. Uh, find the right architect for your job, right? So, so like, here's some things to consider if you're uh, thinking about working with an architect to design a custom home. Find the right architect for your job. And architects who are listening, think about how you can, uh, how, put yourself in the position of being a client. I think that is one of the most important things you can do as a business owner is like, pretend like you're not in the driver's seat anymore. Pretend like you're in the driver's seat of being that owner and looking for an architect. How do you position yourself to be that right architect. Mm. So the best way to find an architect like most professionals is by referral, word of mouth, although many people hire architects whose work they have admired. Uh, the local chapter, chapter of the American Institute of Architects might also be able to provide a referral. I've never heard of that. Remember that many architects, particularly those who design luxury homes, specialize in a particular style, aka F9 Productions with the Eastwatch uh, series that we've done. Mm -hmm. For example, designs tropical tropical modern homes and said that something someone wanting a mediterranean design would go elsewhere i think that's appropriate right so think about your niche that you're carving out as an architect or if you're an owner are you selecting that right architect for your niche style yeah uh niche is not a bad thing niche is important to find niche exploiting the niche that you find is critical to capitalizing every single time for instance Let's say let's say you want to start a fishing channel called Fishing with Lance. And, Catch, catching up with and Lance. you realize that no one is hiking to all of these lakes on the east side of the Continental Divide in Colorado, and you're gonna film it and you are going to exploit that niche. Or imagine you designed an iPhone yeah. and then said, Oh, I need to make each one custom or different. No, you don't. No, you don't. Wow. Yeah. Catch uh, them on catching up. Catch them. <laughs> <laughs> have have someone on your side since most people are building their own home since most people building their own home lack the expertise like alex was saying to properly supervise the contractor hire an expert to represent your interests kelly mangold a principal of real estate consulting firm rclo and a licensed architect said that many architects will remain involved in a project they designed during the construction process they can help manage the contractor to make sure things are done to the specifications on the plan he said, another option is to hire an owner, an owner's representative, a construction expert who will manage and execute the project on an owner's behalf and whose fees vary based on the home size and type of type and type on the duration of the project. Here's, I have a question for you Al, mm -hmm. regarding that then. I want two questions. Number one, if you were an architect listening to what I just said, what I just read, and uh, you are, you are not feeling confident in being able to sell that portion of your services to an owner. What what would you say? What sorry? What portion? The, the construction administration. Basically, you're tasked with. Um, you have the opportunity in the meeting. Uh, the part of construction comes up. Here here's all I'll ask you. 
hey, uh, Al, I love what you had to say. Oh, I think we're going to go with you as the architect. One, one question I have is, like, what happens after the permit is issued? Are you guys just done? Do you never show up to the site? Um, what if we want you to? Should we? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is going to be an answer that you'll like. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I would say typically, typically after we're done, um, most of the conversations and decisions are between the contractor and the homeowner, right? Um, because that's who's building it and, and that's who's who's figuring uh, things out. And that's how it is. And normally we just get calls if um, they need help figuring something out or can't figure something out off of the plan or something like that. If you'd like an extra level of service, if <clears throat> basically you want us to be that, not not the mediator, but to be there to make sure that your ideas, your thoughts are getting represented the best way possible. Because a contractor might be suggesting something that's you know best for you or might be suggesting something that, that just saves e money easier for them. And he's not maybe thinking of the ripple effect. Exactly. Yeah. That's where we can come in if you want to be your extra advocate. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of the contractors that we work with are stand-up people and, and aren't doing that. And we're totally fine with that. But if we're going that level above house, it might be something you want to consider. Yeah. But I, I'm not pushy on that. So like that's why I said I you think might that not was like good. it. Yeah. I think that was good. Take take for take what you can from that. Okay, last thing is the third thing is focus on the details, is what this article says. A common mistake owners make is failing to pay attention to the plan. Basically, they meet the architect and say they want four bedrooms and let the architect make the plans, said Pascal Nikolai, founder and chief executive officer of Sable Luxury Builder in Miami. Then when the building starts, they say they didn't realize the door was here or the wall was here and they changed the plan. So it happens all the time. Yeah. I, I have something so interesting that I didn't even think I'd be able to talk about today based on this. Design everything up front and make sure you're getting what you want in the end. Anybody who's listening to this who maybe will hire us or if there's other people who, uh, just architects who are listening to this, do you know what I started yesterday? I do. Yeah, you do. Three videos. And that's what I'm going to publish. I'm going to publish them on, on YouTube. And uh, I had notes here written. So the first one is titled, How to Read Overall Plans. Catching up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. And uh, I wrote some bullet points. So what I did is I, I pulled up literally my house, um, took off my address so people can't find me. But uh, <clears throat> then I, I went over these following points on how to read overall plans. Went over the cover sheet. Um, what's on it, who drew it, who's building it, who engineered it, uh, a drawing, like the drawing list, basically your index, right? I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here mostly. Area plans, how big is the project, floor plans, elevations, sections, interior elevations, detailed drawings. And what I did is I, I it was about, it's a, I cut it down to about seven minutes. And what it does is it walks potential, it walks current clients, potential clients, anybody who wants to learn how to read overall plans, how to navigate through the plans just so they do it. Then the second... Uh, did, did you, sorry, this might be too nitpicky, but uh, did you say what like a door tag means? So then I went to, uh, so then the second video is, so the first one is just an overall general look. And the second one is how to read floor plans. Here's the different kinds of level of the dimension, levels of dimensions. Here's the, how, here's, the, here's how to read interior dimensions. Here's how to read door tags. Wow. Here's how to read window tags and other drawing symbols and what they mean. Then the third one was how to read elevations and sections. Uh, elevations like what do the level heights mean what do the window tags mean what do the window types mean what do the roof slopes mean materials other drawing symbols sections level heights tags special tags other drawing symbols so whose fault is it i've said this before i think whose fault is it that you're seeing 
somebody like the Wall Street Journal say that here's a common mistake that owners make. Is it really the owner's fault or is it the architect's fault? Mm. I'm of the opinion that it is 100% the architect's fault. Why isn't the why doesn't the AIA put out a video like I'm suggesting, right? Why is inside the firm having to do it? That said, I think this is going to make it so our the people who hire us um aren't put in that position and hopefully really understand what the heck they're looking at. What do you think? Yeah. I've been wanting to do that for a long time. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I hope it helps because I'm sure many people have the experience. Once they once it's framed up, they go, Oh, I didn't know this was there or I didn't know that this was, you know, like it's hard for them. The other thing too is what we've been doing more and more. And I think you missed this uh, Monday morning improvement. I might have, yeah. So, <clears throat> Enscape, we can give out the model to them. We we do it a lot. I saw the one from Ross. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The Autodesk viewer. Yeah. And I think that should be, just become standard. It's free with with Autodesk. Log in and then give the clients. It's called Autodesk viewer. Look it up. All that stuff. Um, give them the 3D model and they can they can walk around in it. Okay. Here, so I wasn't even going to bring up these videos yet. I was going to save it, but I am now. When when do you think? If you had to put a time on it right now, like. When do you think those videos should go out to people? I have my, I have already have my answer, but I'm interested to see what you think. I would say whenever in your process, sometimes on clients, it doesn't work this way. When you have roofs and windows in. My opinion is it goes out uh, right after the contract is signed. Hey, thanks for signing. Thanks, thanks for, thanks. Oh, for, the thanks. videos. Sorry. I thought you meant the 3D walkthrough. No, no, no. The videos. The, yes. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. You agree. Like once they sign it, here's these videos. These hey, will really help the process. These will really help the process. Yep. Yeah. And really help you understand uh, what you're getting so that, so that, and then so, so that you can get exactly what you want. Like you should almost save that email, what you write out in a template and then put it in the F9 resources with links to that videos. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. I have given a preview of my two-second lean. Yep. You missed Reba's two-second. Yes, that's who it was. Um, do you want to know what it is? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> we have this client. And basically what I was trying to do was bring whoever staff was going to be on the project to the meeting. meetings. Yeah. It just it just doesn't work out that smoothly. Just because my I'm so much more flexible than them because they're working on projects with deadlines and stuff like that. And a lot of times we don't know who we're going to task. Sure. So sometimes there's an information drop-off as, as, as good as notes are, right? There's an information drop-off. So one of these, uh, one of the clients didn't want to go with this other architect, but they filled out a questionnaire. Oh, I saw this. No, no, it's, I was there for this. Yeah, Keep yeah. going though. Keep going though. And, and basically what uh, Reba said was, it was so awesome because I could read through that questionnaire, then see if I have any questions and then reach out reach out to the client. So what I'm getting at is that this folder with you with it should be like what to send out to the client as soon as you're like you're assigned to a project. And here's here's how I here's how I would that develop here's how I would develop that questionnaire. So already like what I do, Al might do something different, doesn't matter. What I do is with those first meetings is um, I write out as I take as many notes as I can and then I format it into just a one page uh, sheet at the end of our proposals that says client, initial client meeting notes and it kind of lists everything and they're supposed to review it. So what I would do is, is once they sign is I would say, don't forget, here was the initial notes we took and he, but here's an additional questionnaire just in case we missed anything. Please take an attempt and fill it out. Perfect. Uh, lastly, 
Uh, one thing that we recommend everybody does is takes a look at these three videos because these we made these three videos for clients um, to help the process move as smoothly as possible. You know, their their tutorial, blah 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 blah. The and only going to be sick. I would I would love to stop there. I'm just going to gum it up a little bit. The other thing that we told the you know is like okay, once they sign, make sure that they get the soils report, and make sure they're getting yeah. this other stuff too. It might be it might be overwhelming at first, but but like, you could add that in the questionnaire. I think that's all part of the question. You just put in the question. You put in the have you? Yeah. Solving problems. <sighs> solving problems. Here you are. Uh, if you're listening on Inside the Farm, we're kicking, kicking butt, solving problems. Yeah. Um, speaking of problems, problem solving. Or speaking of a problem, here's Nick. With <laughs> <laughs> the grades. Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A reading. Ways to be nonconformist in 2022. Quit porn, buy assets, lift weights, eat real foods, turn off the news. Respect your parents and honor your ancestors. Mind your own business. Find multiple streams of income. Build a loving and united family. What else would you add? From Save Your Sons. Doodles. Hilarious. Okay. It, I, love, I love that it tied in multiple streams of income. Yes. And, and the so joke. So critical. The joke is like stuff that is normally great, straightforward advice is nonconformity. And what it made me think about is a lot of times the common advice is, hey, Start doing this. Start doing this. Start doing this. Which is all great. Start working like out. Start. Don't just think about it. Is that what? Yeah, yeah. yeah but but like, like Lance, start working out. Start dressing nicer. Just you know, like start, start matching. Start matching like how Lance dresses. Exactly. Like start accounting for your financing. All all great advice. I'm not taking anything away from that. Yeah. A different perspective. Man, I think I think there could be so much improvement by stop doing things. Interesting. Stop eating junk food. Stop drinking. Stop drinking. Stop drinking because then you have the now now you have now you have opened up the ability for you to do something else. Maybe you started a channel, it's called Fishing with Lance. It's not called that. It's not called that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. When I do the special episode with Al and his and his kids, when I take them at some point, uh, maybe in the spring or summer, is gonna, we're gonna change that name just temporarily. There you go. There you go. Um but but it, I mean stop doing things st like even think about yourself like uh, stop overreacting. Like whatever your, whatever your things are, you know, like there's so much that before you add on that you could cut out that would maybe make more room for you to add on that would help out. Exactly. Yep. That, yeah. Cutting the fat. Cutting the fat. Cutting yep. that dirty old fat. Yep. You got it. With that, let's bring down the crew for ARE Jeopardy. Okay, these uh, questions are coming from uh, what I've been studying. We're going to be putting on roof trusses. Nice. So I've been diving deep into this. So it's very specific and it might be a couple weeks long. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, when you're putting in roof, so just think roof trusses for everything. <clears throat> Temporary top cord roof stabilizers for trusses under a span of 30 feet are spaced at what intervals? So... I just have to think about this. You're putting up a bunch of trusses. Yep. 
right? <clears throat> you have to stabilize them so they just don't fall over. Uh, if it was a huge, if it was a 60 foot truss, like if you just put one stabilizer on, like, is that going to be enough to hold it? Right? Probably not. So there's a rule. Like if you have a truss that's 30, 30 feet. feet or less, at what interval do you have to put these top cord stabilizers on before you can start to sheathe it? Okay. Does it make sense? Yeah. Is it a 10 feet B every 20 feet C every eight foot or D every six so foot. So let me ask you this. If the pitch is like this. Yep. I'm looking at the camera here right now, right? You're talking about these ones that go like this. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Does that make sense? Okay. A, 10, B, 20, C, 8, D, 6. All right. All right. C, 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 A. Uh, a is the correct answer every 10 feet. Um, I think as it goes bigger, the spacing actually goes smaller. And it's probably because it has more ability to, to, to move. Um, but we don't have any over 30 on the first level, so I'm not even dealing with it. Okay. <clears throat> now, this is the bottom cord of a truss, right? You're going to do the same thing for horizontal stabilizers, but there's a diagonal stabilizer. So... Um, Basically, if your trusses are running this way yeah. and you have your stabilizers that way, there's a diagonal stabilizer. So think about just to make sure it doesn't rack okay. any, right? And you put them on the beginning when you start and the end when you end. And then the question is, every how many feet do you put a diagonal stabilizer on the bottom cord? Okay. The question officially is temporary bottom cord diagonals. And these just leave in them for literally for permanent. <laughs> like yeah, don't take stay. them out. Yeah. Yep. Um, the top ones you have to be the sheathing. Temporary bottom cord diagonal roof stabilizers for trusses. Just all trusses are spaced at what interval? Is it A every 10 feet? So now it's like there'll be a gap before you put another one. B every 20 feet. C every eight feet or D every six feet. And honestly, it's not that important that you know the numbers. It's important that you know the concept of what these are, why they are. Good question. C, A, A, A. Uh, it, no one got that one. Wow. B, it's every 20 feet. Yep. All right. Number three, what type of lighting is generally used for circulation and general lighting? Is it A, direct lighting? B, artificial lighting, C, natural lighting, or D, ambient lighting? I know, the worst, right? Uh, what type of lighting is generally used for circulation and general lighting? A, direct lighting, B, artificial lighting, C, natural lighting, D, ambient lighting. What do we got? Tyler, who's taking a test tomorrow. D, D, B, B, the correct answer is D. Ambient lighting. Oh, what do we got for scores? One, one, goose egg one, just one? Al just crushing people, okay. Number four, what is the calculated amount of illumination on a surface called? Is it A, foot candle, B, illumination surface calculation, C, rate of illumination, D, illuminati ratio? Ah, that illuminati ratio. A little illuminati. Looks like, uh, okay. 
answers again are A, foot candle, B, illumination surface calculation, C, rate of illumination, D, illuminati ratio. Probably that one. Probably that one. We got A, B, B, A. Correct answer is A, foot candle. Do we have two? Two? We have a tie. Wow. Here we go. Tiebreaker. Quicker to draw. And to draw. Mark, Mark was saying this is a mean tiebreaker. Quick draw. Quick draw McGee coming up. <clears throat> All right. I will give you the options for the answers before the question. Ooh. So write them down. You're going to need The your. terms are evaporator, condenser, released, or drawn in. And there'll be two blanks. In the compressive refrigeration cycle, when the refrigerant leaves the compressor, it enters the blank, and latent heat is blank. Ooh, good one. Good one. You will be absolutely. Refri the refrigeration cycle is like going to be on the test. Damn, Tyler's got it. So uh, when the refrigerant leaves the compressor, it enters the condenser, and latent heat is released in the condenser. Awesome. Good job. Tyler wins. We are eating at Runza because he's from places that have Is that Runza. Real? No, that would be... <laughs> I'm not a terrible person. Oh, man. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to take his uh, jacket away here. No. <laughs> uh, that is all I have. Go to architectsguide2.com, architectsguide2.com. Uh, if you like this episode, please uh, leave us a comment on the YouTube. Like and subscribe. Uh, share this episode with a friend, family member. See you next week. Thank you.